0: Hi, I'm Melissa. I was Alan Watt's wife. I've been thinking for quite a long time about talking. I know a lot of people, most people in the world, don't know who is running Alan Watt's websites. They don't know what happened to Alan. And I am here to talk about that today. Since Alan died... I've communicated with people using the name Bev. Again, I have been in the mode of privacy for so long and caution, and I just stayed in that mode. And I really thought I was going to stay behind the scenes and not speak out and that it would be fine for me to be just some anonymous Bev who was connected in some way, like a friend, to the website and just keep it vague. But, well, Alan always received a lot of email and he heard from people all over the world in all different situations, some of them living, you know, on the fringes of society. Some people were doing pretty well, but they needed to communicate with him and, uh, sometimes it was just to check in and say, hey, but there are, you know, there are a lot of broken people out there who connected to him, who his words just touched them. And he would say sometimes, you know, there's an element of social work here. You don't, can't, we don't really have time to focus on that, but it's, it's always there. And to be aware that, that these, people who com- who write emails who communicate they they are real people with problems and you always want to think about that think about them as humans when you're writing an email when you're you know try to listen even though it's hard to do by email and i i was because i'm a woman i was the relationship half of him And it was just a natural thing for me to know your names and how, and the connections of the, you know, the relationships, to know your dog's names, your children's names and when they graduated or if, if you had another baby and when your wife left you or your husband died. I knew those things, and I would let those were the the human interest of course was very interesting to me because I'm a woman, and I would always make sure that that Alan knew as many of you as I could possibly communicate to him without you know slowing down his own work pace as well and that Part of course, you know, the email volume has slowed way down since Alan died, but people still want to communicate with this stranger named Bev who is running the websites and manning the fort, so to speak. And I, I answered them all to the very best of my ability, as I always have, and I just see Well, there's definitely a lot. I don't know if it's increasing hurt, because there's always been a lot of pain in the world. But I, I do think that people are maybe starting to lose it in a bigger way. And we're seeing fallout. And I do get emails from people who literally are at the end of their ability to hang on. And they are talking about checking out. And I think it just, as much as I liked being behind the scenes and I liked the privacy and the uh, just being a support and a helper to Alan, it feels like it is important at this time for me to say who I am and what I did because I need people to know who I was and that I'm still here and I care i And I do care. I was with him a number of years, 14, and I loved him. I loved everything about him. I loved his message, and i I know that the the public persona that Alan put out was a man and his dog. It's from me and Hamish. Good night, and may your God or gods go with you. He never talked about me. So I really, honestly, I have to tell you, I don't want to talk about me either. But I think that to do what I want to do for Alan, it's something that I have to do. So here I am not exactly kicking and screaming, but not super thrilled to be talking into a mic. I think that people have an idea about who somebody is. They've never met them. They're a public person. They have a certain degree of fame. And Alan definitely had an idea of who he wanted to present to the world and it was a man and his dog. It was not entirely just because he wanted to be seen by the world to be a single man living alone in the sticks in Northern Ontario, but because he recognized that anyone who was close to him would be in the public eye as well, under scrutiny, Let's just put it this way. To be near Alan has risks. It had risks. And he knew that and he wouldn't ask that of someone, particularly not someone that he loved. So it, it would be easier for me to talk to whoever you are and how many ever however many of you are there are than to sit here in front of my little computer with a microphone, and just talk. But I am going to do it. I think one of the hesitancies, first of all, I lost Alan. And it was shocking and horrifying and very lonely and in many ways a nightmare, Uh, I mean, grief is, I I don't really, I didn't come here to talk about my grief, but it it did slow me down. It did make me take my time. And I knew from all of those years with Alan that the moment that you speak out, that's the moment that you're the target. Have I been a target? Have I been with him as a target? Absolutely. Um, That's what I did. And I, uh, and by that, I, I don't necessarily mean, oh, we're going to take him out. We're going to take you out. That's not the kind of target I'm talking about. I'm talking about you're a target for the online digital warrior abuse peanut gallery, the people who want to slang you and put you down. No matter whatever comes out of your mouth, they could have said it better. They knew better, you know, that, or you should have. And why didn't you that? Kind of abuse, and and it, but it's beyond that, you know. Har- I, Alan talked over the years about the kinds of uh, harassments and problems. It wasn't just you know slow explore net speed, although that was certainly a persisting problem. But he kept me altogether out of the limelight, out of the spotlight. For many reasons, they were all good, they were all his, they were all personal and private. And I should say, you know, they were all his, they were mine as well. And this is what I've been doing since he died is I have been maintaining his websites. I've been reposting his audio. I've put an enormous amount of my time and energy and love and thought into doing that. And I... I. I've been doing it behind the scenes and quite frankly that's that that's how I love it that's how I prefer it so here I am putting the spotlight on me and letting you have a little glimpse into the personal life of Alan Watt so I was thinking about you know what's what's an approach here you know what what, what do I say what needs to be said where do I start and the idea popped in my head that, well, I've always, you know, the, the thing of it is, is that I always ask myself all the time, every day, what would Alan do? What, what would he think? How would he approach this challenge, this problem, this issue? Um, and I, uh, uh, I was blessed to share so many years with him. I was blessed To be with him and to be able to have that knowledge, what would he think? What would he do? How would he handle this? And the image of that little house in a stair just popped in my head. And I've been gone now a little over a year. And it just came back in pictures you know what, what, what did the house look like what did the land look like where did I walk where did we shovel snow <laughs> or feed the chipmunks and I, I started thinking that maybe maybe it was the, that what I wanted to do today was to give you a little tour of my house with Alan and my life with Alan just give you a little glimpse to answer the question what would Alan do he would not do this (laughs) he would not invite you into his home Um, he had the persona was there for a reason I can count the people who crossed over the threshold on one hand he he We did live like hermits, in a way. And there's something that Alan said to me on more than one occasion about a house. What is a house? A house is a box with a lid on it. And that house there in northern Ontario, that box with a lid on it, we don't live there anymore. So I think it's okay to give you a glimpse of that life, to let you know what life was like. And um, so welcome. Welcome to our home. You're going to see the house, what it looks like on the outside, a little bit of what it looked like on the inside. There's the, the front of this simple frame house. You can see the long driveway. I think I picked out a photograph that shows you the long road up to the house, the house that used to flood all the time when the beavers would get their dams on the go, and that's the long driveway. I don't really think you get a good glimpse of how much snow had to be shoveled, but it was a lot. And there's a picture out the back. You can see, I think there's one picture of Alan with a bird, and you get to see a tiny little glimpse of the wood splitter and you can see the screen tent that we... That, that, that I think, was the second or maybe third screen tent over the years. I mean, the screen tents you'd set up in the summertime so that you could sit outside and have a cup of coffee, make a phone call out there, whatever, but you wouldn't be eaten alive by the mosquitoes. And I think that particular screen tent that you're looking at, I think that one, I probably stitched the tears on that two or three times. I extended the life of that tent (laughs) it's like why why buy an $80 tent when you could when you've got a woman that can stitch it up for you huh so I don't want to spend all night here talking about this I mean I could talk about Alan I could talk about Alan all night long there's there's no doubt I could talk about him a lot but I just want to show you life out in nature, it was a hard life in a lot of ways. You know, we cut our own wood, split it. And I can tell you that that every every piece of the 16 to 20 cords, however much it was every winter, I, I stacked, I stacked every piece of it and hauled it in. That was just one of my little jobs. And um, since I'm really, in a way, for the most part here talking about more who I am than who he was I I'm just a woman who who loved him and helped him in all of the ways that that I think a wife ideally would I I cooked and and cleaned I I sewed you'll see the little green curtains in the kitchen I, I sewed those you'll see the gold curtains behind where I'm working on the computer I made those You know, Hamish needed winter jackets. I made him beautiful winter jackets. I don't have a picture of that. But I do have the jackets, and I don't want to get all mushy or anything, but I I loved that man. I loved him, and I served him to the very best of my ability all the time. I did the banking and the bookkeeping and the bill paying, and if ExplorNet needed to be yelled at, That was me, and I, you know, tracked the electricity usage and argued over, you know, especially once they insisted on the smart meters, no, we didn't use that much, blah, blah, you know, that, it was hands-on all the way, and I think, I don't know, I, I hope, I hope that on learning this that, that you feel really good that he did have someone there that loved and adored him and cared for him. And it was really, really, really hard work. Um It was, he would say on air, this isn't a nine-to-five job. This isn't just a job. It's, this is... You know, he might call it a vocation. He might say, you know, uh, but I'm going to tell you, it was a calling. It was a mission. He said that. I don't think he wanted to chit-chatty about that too much on the air because, you know, you can start to sound like you think you've got, I don't know, because, you know, when you go there, obviously, oh, like, oh, yeah, you're on a mission from God. Well... He, he was on a mission, I'll say that, and I loved him, and I wanted to be on that mission with him, and I threw myself into it with with my own skills and talents that I brought, and I, I just gave it my all. I, I, I mean, I, I really literally surprised, I, I had my own business before I went there, and I thought I'd Worked hard, you know. I mean, I, I like working and I thought I was good at working. And, you know, I, oh, I'm a, you know, a, a typical modern woman, you know, I can do that. I can do this, you know, sure, I'll do that. But it, 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 that kind of confidence that is instilled in modern women that we can tackle anything. And because I had had success in my field. I had worked hard at that, and I gave that up to be with Alan. And you know what? I say I gave it up. I mean, I gave up nothing. I gained the world. So, But I worked really hard, and he did too. We worked like you just can't believe. I mean, if I sat here and talked for two hours about what a typical day was like, You know, people would need some kind of uh, massage, hot stone massage or something. Oh, I got to get, you know, that made me really tired. I'm sore thinking about it. And that was life. That was kind of a day-to-day life. And he had many, many, many years ago, he had reached that point where he knew this is what I have to do. And life just has a way of tapping you on the shoulder and you say okay you think you're going that way son you're not going that way because we got something else that you're supposed to be doing and alan loved music he loved writing it he loved performing it he loved session work he loved music and he was getting ready to go on tour and this was way back in the 90s and um He had to get booster shots to go on tour, and he came down almost immediately after the vaccines. I mean, literally within days. He had rheumatoid arthritis, and his whole body, his spine was just, he was immobilized. His hands, his fingers were twice the size of what they normally would be. He went to the doctor. The doctor said, you'll never play guitar again. And he popsicle sticks. He splinted his fingers. He created a back brace. He immobilized himself and he did get the use of his fingers back. You know, he'd always complain when he'd say that he was going to get the, you know, get his guitar out of the coffin and play it at Christmas time. That his hands just... And they weren't what they used to be. And, you know, God bless him, but the car never broke down unless there was snow on the ground and it was zero degrees Fahrenheit or colder, you know, that's when the car broke down. And, you know, that that kind of work and those kind of temperatures isn't, you know, it takes a toll. But at that time in the 90s, when he was lying in bed, immobilized, he was kind of making a pact with his creator, Okay. And I'm not sure that it was a a happy pact, you know, and a, a, a zen, peaceful moment. It was kind of a rage against the universe. All right. All right. I'll do it. I will do what you want me to do. Because he'd been reading those dusty old books literally since he was a child. He was a very curious, very bright, very gifted little boy, and he had a voracious appetite for knowledge. And he had gathered up a lot of it over the years. And, oh, he might share some things that he knew with somebody, a person here or there, but he had not used his knowledge in any way that, I guess, that you might say to help people gain from the knowledge that he had invested his life in gathering so that was that was his moment that was his time and i think my own journey towards knowing reality towards consciousness towards truth however you want to put it was different because i wasn't reading the dusty old books haunting the libraries when i was 12 i I just more or less followed my programming, what was I supposed to do and could I get really good at what I was supposed to do, and that's where I put my energy. And for me, it was a hollow feeling. Is this all there is? Because once you have achieved what you are told that you're supposed to, Shouldn't that make you happy? And I think a lot of people mask it. And the system, as you know, because Alan has talked about this for years, the system is designed to mask it. Well, uh, the hollow feeling just means that you haven't, you're, you know, you're one cocktail shy of the sweet spot, you know. The hollow feeling is that you just need more sex, you know. The hollow feeling is, and, it, it, you know, it, the hollow feeling is a pit. It's the bottomless pit in a soul that is in danger of being lost. And so I got to Alan. But the marriage itself is actually sacred. It's it's sacred. And because it's sacred, it's also private. So... I can give you a little glimpse, but no more, because my life with him, the loss of him, the mourning and the grief, the dedication, the commitment to his mission, it's mostly private. So I learned an awful lot. I was given priceless gifts of knowledge, and I I loved every moment in that man's presence, and I would give up everything all over again for just one more minute in his presence. I know that I can talk about Alan's death. I-, I thought that maybe I was ready to talk about it without crying, and hopefully I am. Um, that I-, I wanted to honor the his, his commitment, his total commitment to privacy, or privacy, as he would say. Uh, but I think I want you to know and I'm not sure that that this in any way disrespects his wishes that he died of natural causes. There was no foul play. And I know I will never be able to satisfy that kind of morbid curiosity crowd, you know, the crowd that I try not to pay too much attention, but the crowd that says, oh, he faked his death and... Um, he's not really dead, and or uh, you know something happened, and you know his rec- all record of it has been scrubbed, and you know that or we deserve to know he was a public figure. We deserve to know, and I, I I see I know that no matter what I say, that I can't satisfy the people who wanted to show up at the death scene of Alan Watt with a video camera and a forensic pathologist that you won't be satisfied, but others will be. He was never, what you would say, he he was never in great health for many, many years, certainly since the rheumatoid arthritis attack in the mid-90s, that and a series of being given the, you know, just terrible medications. I mean, it's just crude, you know, the medicine, the butchery that goes on. Um, so the, the problem that the drug that they give you for the rheumatoid arthritis pops a hole in your gut and there you do, you're living with an ulcer for the rest of your life. And if you lived in a, if you lived in a real world with, you know, real care and treatment, then you could just go and have that little tear sewn up so easily. But when you're living in a, you know, they, in the U.S., they talk about how wonderful Canadian healthcare is, or, you know, they look to Britain and we want, you know, socialized healthcare. Well, you don't. Trust me, you don't. Because when Alan died, he was still waiting for a referral to a rheumatologist. And the only reason that he even had the care that he had, which was subpar, but the only reason he had subpar care was because he ended up in the hospital in 2016. A double-edged sword. And he talked about that on the radio. He talked about... Let's just say that there seemed to be almost, there was a a deliberate refusal to give proper care. And if he didn't have listeners, devoted listeners, from far-flung places around the world, he never would have gotten the proper medication that he needed for what had happened in 2016. And even that, we're not talking about a Class 4 drug that he had to get himself from Thailand, we're talking about medication that was in no way restricted, but when Alan Watt wanted it, it was confiscated at the border I mean literally the the kind of spy games that that he had that we had to play to get him medication was it was just outrageous, so a little venting there, but he And and what happened in 2016 had a very big impact on his health. But I helped him for many years, you know, cooking, cleaning, sewing, darning his socks, making the dog's coat, and I researched. And in 2016, when he was hospitalized, that took so much out of him. It took so much out of him that for him to keep going, he really just had to concentrate for for a, a, a more than a year on on just taking care of himself and resting. And I that during that period, I assumed the responsibility of all of the um, research in its entirety. And I, I edited the audios, I maintained the website. Um I you know in the in the very, very early days, there was a lovely young fellow from the u s who came over and set up the websites and he stayed for a few years up and up through the r b n days and he he was the one at that time that was editing the audios and uploading to the website and I was doing the other things, but when he left, I had to really quickly learn how to edit audio and maintain the website upload and and do all that. And so, I did that research. I helped him to keep going. I, I just want to say that because because when I'm talking about a sacred marriage, I'm talking about uh, I'm talking about total unity of spirit and mission and purpose. I'm talking about that kind of bonding and working together to pull the plow in the same direction, that kind of relationship that that this evil system has seen fit to M- ensure almost never can get off the ground or maintain itself. That, it, you know, the, the modeling that they give us for a relationship is completely dysfunctional. Women have been told uh, that you can have it all. Uh, I've, you know, had the f- friends who you, you know that being a single mother is just a okay I mean, you know, yes, does that happen? Of course, is it ideal? no, it's not but i've I've heard it, you know, oh, just freeze the eggs, and uh you know men are just sperm donors. well, the two flesh becoming one that sacred idea is so powerful because behind it is the power of creation, and that's powerful. And it's just like I, you know, I, 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 the, the talk that I put up on um, the last Sunday, you know, it was, it was from 2017, and Alan was talking about the devaluation of human life, the euthanasia, abortion, you know, he, obviously he talked about that a lot, a lot, a lot. And he said it's always it always starts off as that you know this is going to help you, this is to save the life of the mother um, and it ends up as just you know it's a right because it's inconvenient. The article that I put up last sunday to to go along with that you know from today's you know from nowadays news stories was some actress who was you know talking about her abortion and um you know, why she felt so good about it, because, you know, she felt like she just had this seed dropped in her, a seed, you know, an alien seed. And she just wanted it removed. And when she had it removed, it was like having a polyp removed. So where we are, I mean, obviously we're at the point where, yeah, um, Terminating a human life is just because it's inconvenient. But you look at that. what, What I'm describing here in general terms is there could be other pregnancies or polyps. She may keep a polyp or two when it's convenient. But she is barren nonetheless because that is a barren woman. And so that's where we are, I think, across the board, around the world, that all those pillars of society, that kind of Marxist attack that Alan talked about for years where destruction of the family, destruction of the bonding of the male and the female, et cetera, et cetera. Why? Oh, destruction of religion, of course. Let me forget that one. Private property coming soon to a town near you. Why the destruction of the bond between the male and the female? because as I just said that's the power of creation and not all creation is babies our creation was those websites and those audios that he put up his creation was his books and I have made other contributions you know the very first creative contribution I made was transcribing Waiting for the Miracle and editing that into book form. So we were together creative. And again, I just say I'm, I'm blessed. I've always, I've always felt like I was the luckiest woman who ever lived. But for all of the stepping up to the plate, so to speak, that I did after 2016, the wind returned to Alan's sails with COVID. I'll backtrack a moment because the wind leaving his sails wasn't all entirely His illness, a good part of it was losing Hamish, his beloved, beloved Hamish, his very best friend. But come COVID, he got that wind back, and I think, you know, he he knew what was coming. He talked about the fact, you know, on air, it's, I think what's going to bring us down is a pandemic when somebody would talk about the next financial crisis, you know. You study the agenda long enough, and as he always said, you you you, will—you—you do know what's coming. It's—it's not magic. It's homework. And you all saw that the talks that he did, starting in February of 2020, they went—you know—from an hour to an hour and a half to two hours to three hours to three and a half hours to four hours and and longer. And everything that he had committed to telling you about was and is here. And he threw himself into it with everything that he had. And the night, because he usually recorded, well, he usually he always recorded all night long. And I edited and prepared the website all day the next day. We were always together. We had one night apart in all of those years, and that's when the film crew came up for one night and put him up in a bed and breakfast. When he was in the hospital, I was on a cot next to his bed. So the the one time of the week that we weren't literally pretty much in the same room at the same time was when he started in 2020 doing all night recording sessions and we had to work in shifts. He'd record and I would make his lineup of coffee and tea, and the labels saying which is which. <laughs> and then I'd go to bed, try to get a few hours of sleep. When he'd be done in the morning, I would get up get the audio on the driver, write down all the articles that he had used, and I'd I'd go to work on editing the audio and putting it all together. And, you know, um, know, you're you're pushing 70 or, you know, beyond, and um, that's going to take a toll on you. And that last show that he did, the 28th of February... And you know, he I, he just wasn't really well after that. He he didn't feel well. I could I could sense it from a kind of a crankiness. But you know that would accompany a particularly bad outbreak of arthritis or just pain. And you know, uh, but by Monday it was clear that he was not really feeling well. But again, these aren't really... Um, he, I saw him suffer a lot. It was a, a sad thing to see him suffer with pain, so much pain from the arthritis and and from the ulcer. And that Monday and Tuesday after that last show, he slept a lot. He was tired. He was complaining of pain in his spine and just, he said, oh, this is just a really bad outbreak. That's what he was calling it, a bad outbreak of the arthritis. And Wednesday, thank God, I thought, thank God that Wednesday after he seemed to feel a lot better. He had his appetite back for the first time in a couple of days and I made some food and we just kind of took it easy. We watched a couple of movies that day and into the night and I those last few hours I cherish because it was a, a rhythm that was a little slower than normal and because it was a little slower than normal I was being with him instead of necessarily doing and and He he had a a massive heart attack on Thursday, the 4th of March of 2021. In the morning, um, getting into bed, he died next to me, and I did. Everything that I possibly could, you know. That moment is, is surreal when you know that that someone is really gone. But you're fighting that. You're fighting it with compression. You're, you're fighting it with CPR. You are. You, you're talking. You've got a ambulance talking to you, and you know it's a twenty minute drive. No matter how fast they're going. And they're, they get there when they've put three doses of adrenaline in them. And you, you, you see all this going in a kind of a sur- surreal way. I saw my life on the floor. And there was no bringing him back. I could pray and beg. <laughs> And I did. And it's it's just the biggest loss. I, it, well, as Alan would say, I've prattled on a lot longer than I intended to. I thought I could actually... Announce myself and what happened and get it done in about 15 minutes and, and I had no idea I was so slow. <laughs> I, I just want to talk for a few minutes about what I do and, um, and why, why I do it. It, uh, I had to get out of Canada and get my stuff back to the land of my birth, and um, and Canada was in crazy lockdown. It was just uh, such a intense time, and there was so much to deal with. And I'm sorry, listeners, but as committed as I was to maintaining the website and making sure that that it was lovingly cared for and always updated. And I even started writing um, articles under the name Not Sure. And I, I, I did a few of those right away that came to me and took a kind of a pause over the summer as I packed and dealt with issues and then kind of started again in earnest last late last summer or early fall, whenever, with the Not Sure pieces. And... So I was doing this but but in all honesty the the idea that that somehow I needed to communicate with you in another form or in a different way or more uh comprehensively it it just didn't occur to me for so many reasons. I was in grief and grief is a very it's, there's so many facets to it and it and it sometimes seems to never end and then I returned home to where I was born and my father was ill and I was able to help my brother who had been caring for him single-handedly for a number of years and it was really draining and I was glad to be able to, for just a few months, help. And then he passed away. And, you know, I I still have boxes to unpack a year later. And I kind of look at it, I was saying, well, by Christmas. But, you know, it's a box with a lid on it. It's the box my dad built with a lid on it. And none of this is my priority. The priority is Alan's websites and what he was talking about. I say Alan's websites because he was so committed to them. He was so committed to what he was doing and that it would always be protected from getting in there with the lizard people or whatever. And he, he only had control over what... A, what came out of his mouth. He had control over what he said and wrote and put on his websites, and he had pride. He took great pride in saying, if it's, you know, you go to my official websites, www.cuttingthroughthematrix.com, and there you're going to find a listing of all my official websites. And sometimes he would call them off because that was his work. He was proud of it. He would say, "CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com.net.us," Alan Watt, "CuttingThrough.ca," Alan Watt, "SentientSentinel.eu," Jinkness.com, a wonderful mirror site for many years. And I am I am pleased to announce that I have added something he wanted, which was his own official YouTube and BitShoot channels. They're Alan Watt, CTTM, on both YouTube and BitChute. Their channels are a little different because the censorship is a little different on YouTube, as we all know. And um, the beauty of these very, very humble, super tiny little channels is they're mine, which means they're his. The comments will never be enabled I'm sure the site would get bigger faster if we were willing to do that. But Alan just hated that. He hated chat rooms and forums and comment sections. And, yeah, you know, PayPal cut us off after Alan died. And I had to um, live a long time without because I could not put my attention to it. So there was literally no way for people to order a book except to send cash. And I I just had to suffer along with that. And now I have offered, you know, uh, cryptocurrency, you know, is that so shocking to be on Alan's website? Not really, because he had me researching that for two or three years as an option. Again, you know, not done because time was something we just didn't have a lot of. Did he think that cryptocurrency was like the thing of the future that we should all jump into as an investment? Absolutely not. That was not him. But, you know, if you're in this really awful money system, you've got to make a few tiny little concessions to that system. So, um, just really quickly... There is one other person now who's part of the CTTM that is me. That's that's an addition of a, a young man who wrote to Alan, sent him letters, you know, written with a pen and paper <laughs> since he was in high school. And he's now, the, you know, half a year away from 30. So long time listener and an unusual, you know, when I said to Alan, this is one to watch, this is one to keep an eye on because, you know, his letters were thoughtful and, you know, he'd he'd quote Tacitus and uh, you know, just kind of I I saw him in my mind's eye as archiving Alan's books or participating in some way and not unlike the young fellow that came up to help with the website. So the, all those many years ago, I, I saw that maybe this young man had a similar role to play for Alan. And my mind's eye, of course, I always thought that Alan was there, and that's not how it turned out. And I'm just grateful for, I call him sometimes young Weston, not to his face, but. <laughs> I don't know, there's just something I'm old, he's young Weston. And he's very helpful, very smart, and um I've been able to show him how to update the websites and um how to edit audio, although I still, you know, get a little controlling with the audio and I like to just hop in there myself, but I you know, he's been such a quick learner and so eager and he feels that his life was profoundly changed by hearing what Alan had to say and and it's just I'm I'm just grateful because there's a lot there's always a lot to do and how I approach the talks every week what I'm going to put up I think about what's going on I mean there are literally thousands of talks in the archive so it's a big job and there's a a a man that I've mentioned before who lives up in Ontario and um, he's been enormously helpful in, in creating a kind of a Way for me to search out the whole website topic by topic and find the things that are interesting. He's also been um, the force behind the midweek excerpt series, the clip series of identifying those. And the thing that I've really enjoyed really since last year when I did the three weeks in a row of the... um, 9/11 was the kickoff. Those those three that I those were actually edited together out of six or seven different talks, and I liked the idea of organizing Alan's talks to present to you thematically, and I think it just allows you an opportunity to really get in there to you know, as Alan would say, for the heart of thinking. You know, you get to hear it repeated you get to hear the same themes over and over and it kind of gr- makes that new those new grooves in your in your gray matter and and it also, you know, the not sure, basically I write not sure in a similar way to what how I saw Alan do the audio. You know, life is busy here for me, and one of the things that keeps me busy is one of the things, it's a similar thing to what I did in Canada. I cook, I feed people, and, and that's, you know, it's good. I like to feed people, so um, I have cooking to do, and and that keeps me busy, but it's an opportunity when I'm down chopping something up or doing whatever, I can listen to audio, and I can think about that. And, you know, for whatever my... Obligations are for the week. Whatever it is that I need to do, I try to listen to the talk of Alan's that's going up on a Sunday, two, three, maybe four times. I'll think about current events that are happening that tie into what Alan was talking about, whenever it was. You know, five years ago, fifteen years ago, um, because chances are it's going to resonate pretty strongly with what's happening now, and. After I've listened to him, kind of a last-minute thing on the Saturday before it's going to go up on Sunday, well, it's just, it's last-minute because it's spontaneous, because that's how Alan worked, that's what I saw, that's what I do, because there's something about it that is just, it's spontaneous off the top of my head sometimes by the time I get done writing it could be 3 or 4 in the morning uh, on a Sunday morning and I'm really tired I don't even have time to read the thing that I put up and I you know I can just let Weston check it for typos and hopefully he catches them and if he doesn't we can grab him and put it back up again because the the spirit of what I'm doing and I thought about this is yeah I'm writing but it's really a conversation that I'm having with Alan. I've listened to the talk that's going up. I've thought about the concepts and, and I'm talking to him about it. And it's, it has thrilled me that a few folk have said it, you know, Oh, that sounds like, you know, the writing sounds like, you know, it's like something Alan would say. And I'm like, Oh my God, that's the biggest praise that you could ever get me, give me. And I, I, you know, that just makes me happy. And, you know, but I'm not, doing it for praise I'm not I have no idea how many people but I know people are reading it around the world you know I heard there's folk literally all over the world who have said that that it keeps Alan alive for them and and it inspires them and you know and l- likewise I'm getting something back from you because the new age series that I wrote about for eight weeks I wouldn't have ever crossed my mind to single that out as a series of talks to put up or write about it. But a listener from South Africa asked me to. He said, you know, there are a lot of people down here that are, I guess if you want to say the the, the truth movement, the resistance obviously is around COVID and the vaccines. And he said there are so many people that are involved in whatever it is, whether it's anti-masking or anti-vaccine or anti-whatever you're anti- They've made sure to provide you. Well, we just need to, you know, love each other and, you know, vibrate up into a higher place, a happy place. And if there's all of us are vibrating love, then we're just going to turn this thing around. And that, that, no, that's one example. But there's a lot of that kind of thinking that has indeed crept into people resisting. Or one of the things that I noticed in researching it, 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 it wasn't just the happy, positive place of it. It's the fact that the kind of thinking that is promoted by that kind of new age thinking. Well, cut to the chase here. The bottom line is newsflash. You're not God. (laughs) And that is the whole lie behind it. We can become God. We can change our reality just by the thoughts that we put out. Well, An individual can obviously do an awful lot with his thoughts. We all heard Alan say that. Yeah, that is a given. But um, when really bad people want to kill us, we don't get to think our way out of that. You know, there's a little bit of standing up and saying no, taking a stand, taking a position. And it's, it's not about the power of positive thinking. Anyway... That was an example of a listener giving me an idea, and I ran with it, and I I personally benefited from it. And one of the interesting things was, of course, I was very familiar with Alan's work and his archive, but it wasn't until that exercise was placed upon me that I saw, especially in the early years before he went on RBN, how much Alan talked about the New Age. It was... Such a recurring theme, and um, that was very interesting and thought provoking for me. And I, I don't want to blather on here much longer, but there, there are a lot of things that that I want to do to bring you interesting material and to bring you Alan's work, but put together in a way that you don't go, well, I've heard that one before. I mean, if you feel that way about Allen's work, well, you know, I don't know because I could listen to those talks over and over again. That's just me. But I, I know that for me, I've had to work through the loss and the grief. I've had to soul search. What is it that I'm feel that I need to do. Obviously, I think if we're talking to each other and being honest about what we face and what we're looking at and the fallout and the death counts and the lies and deception and censorship, it is very bleak, very dark. And you look around and you see what is happening. Um, It's not just the suicidal people that contact me. It's people... There are some people that I know that I thought would be strong, could get through this, you know. But we all remember that Alan said after 9 11, the hardest thing to do is just going to be to hold on to your sanity. And I think now that we have all lived through COVID, it, it, we see the fallout around us. We might know people who are victims of the fallout or made what we think is the wrong decision and now they're going to have to suffer with the consequences of that decision. And we see kind of the us versus them the the distrust of one another that they've that has been created for us to fall into and a lot of people are suffering and lonely and I see it I hear from people who are losing it. It's different. Everybody's got a different way in which they've lost themselves. They've lost themselves into pornography addiction or drugs or alcohol because they just despair of any kind of a future. And I understand what they're saying and what they're seeing. And, you know, if I just put it aside, if I say, okay, yeah, you you know that the moment that you plug that mic into the computer, the moment that you publish whatever blathering came out of your mouth, that's the moment that that target goes up and people start the, you know, peanut gallery. Ah, she shouldn't, she can't buy. But I did get the gift of. 24-7 Twenty-four-seven with his insights, his wisdom, his unique way of looking at the world, and and um, and and being with him was a crucible. It was it was a trial by fire, and you know, you you fish around as a woman. You're looking for that man to give you the compliment. Oh, you're such a great cook, and you're so cute and sweet, and blah blah blah. You know, and. You know, it was intense. We, we we didn't get our Sunday drives or our, our 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 weekends away or our summer vacation. You know, it was twenty four seven to this work, and it could be pretty intense. And sometimes, you know, I I'd, I'd hear it if I if I wasn't living up to the demands, and so I I might. Back with yeah, but what do you li- what do you like about me? Come on, <laughs> and I will share with you the best compliment that Alan Watt ever gave me. And a couple of three times he said to me that that what he loved about me was that I had fortitude. And just so you don't have to run, look that word up. That strength of mind that allows one to endure pain or adversity with courage, that strength, force, power to attack or to resist attack, its mental power of endurance, patient courage under affliction, privation, or temptation, firmness in confronting danger, hardship, or suffering. And I just love that. I love that he saw me that way i want to share like i said a few images there's the house there's the field with the wildflowers there's hamish there's one of alan getting ready it's like a little headshot for a video and and there's one where he's got the american kestrel we rescued this kestrel that fell out of its nest and we taught it to fly we fed it scrambled eggs and raw meat and and it, it walked around on our heads our hats and um I hope it flew off to join a family of kestrels after. But we, I mean, it was an amazing experience. And I think when you look at that we, that photo on the website where Alan is surrounded in the woods, he's busking with his guitar, and he's surrounded by the animals. There is kind of that feeling of him in nature, surrounded by animals. And, and true enough, I sometimes jokingly called him St. Frank because there was that, you know, Francis of Assisi kind of, you know, animals loved him. He loved animals. When I was going through all the photographs, I saw, man, he just took so many photographs of me sitting at the computer or bent over something in the kitchen. And I was trying to figure that out because I I think mostly I was unaware that I was being photographed. And I, I almost always had this look of intensity or focus or concentration. And, you know, the truth is I... I like to laugh a lot and smile and, but every time he took a picture of me, it's this focus, this intensity. And I, I guess, who knows? He was doing a study over the years and a very in- <laughs> of a very intense woman. I don't know. So that's what I'm sharing with you a little glimpse into our home at that time. I encourage you all. To support Alan Watt's websites, cuttingthroughthematrix.com.net.us, Alan Watt's sentient Alan Watt jinkness.com, our new bit shoot and YouTube channels, Alan Watts CTTM. Never doing this for the masses. For some idea that he was going to turn this ancient agenda around, but he was doing it for individuals, for individuals who could come through and pass this information. Really, it really is when I see the the way in which people behave. Um, you know, remember. I lived like a hermit too with that man, that wonderful man. So, returning to civilization is a little bit of a shock to the system. And you see how people are, the egos and pettiness and the need for strokes or whatever. Uh, You know, you you see the combativeness and the this petty and I just compare it to to where I was, you know, a selfless man on a mission. So I'm going to leave you with a song by Alan Watt. I love all of his music. I, I I would have loved to have lived with him in a world, in a time, in a different place where... We could have long walks in the woods on a Sunday or just go away for a week or two and disconnect. And he could just play his music and I could bake cookies. You yeah. know, Wow, that's heaven maybe. But that wasn't our life. But I did love his music. When he'd get that guitar out of the coffin and deliver a song for you for Christmas... I really loved that, and I know all of his music so well, just the point in the song where it's going to bring a tear to my eye or make me weep, fill me with this, like, bliss, joy feeling, and yet as well as I know every single song he ever did, he always manages to take me by surprise. So, I hope that you have gotten something from this gift, this glimpse into our life as it was then. So, from me, with my stray cats out the back door and the blue jays that dare to come down to the bird bath in a cautious moment, I say good night. Thank you.